1: You've never stood trial because no one's been able to compel the chain.
2: You're staring at the past. I just drew you a real map to the future. The
1: past is the only light with which we can see the future. Your willingness to do this will send a message and I promise you I will not let anyone forget that. It's just more abstractions. The past cannot be undone.
0: But it could be made right.
2: You know, I love that word penultimate. So anytime I get the chance to say it, I take it. So here is our episode of Positively Trek on the penultimate episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery. There is a tide. My name is Dan Gunther and with me as always is Bruce Gibson. Bruce, are you ready to talk discovery? I am. It sounds like it's
1: going to be an episode about being at the beach (laughs) There is a tide, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it does sound like, you know? It's like, hey, it's a surfing show, dude. Yeah, let's watch Discovery.
2: (laughs) I like it. I like it. Yeah, a very different tone for sure. But uh, yeah, we're talking, of course, about the uh, second last episode of season three. So we're ramping up, getting to the end of the season here. There's another kind of milestone with regards to this episode, though, that I want to talk a little bit about, which is really cool. This episode marks the eight hundredth installment of Star Trek on television or in film. So that's counting all of all of the episodes of every series as well as the films. This is the eight hundredth piece of Star Trek, I guess.
1: So that's pretty cool. It's insane. I never stopped to think about it until I saw that the other day. It's like eight hundred episodes. Cause when I think of the novels, because you know, we cover the novels so much. I often think, Oh, they're probably about 900. And I saw somebody trying to do a count the other day online and it looked like it was still a little below 900. And I'm thinking there's just so many novels to read. And then when I see this, I'm like, well, yeah. And there's so many episodes to watch and movies and, it's like, and we're not even counting the comics. So if you take all these different stories that have been created officially under the license of Paramount, CBS, Viacom, whatever, I mean, it's a huge amount of Star Trek stories out there. And that's not counting anything that people have done in fandom by themselves, their fan productions and, and, and fan writing and all these things.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of sobering to think that if you just take television shows and films and you watched one a day. It would take well over two years to get through it all, just watching one episode per day. Like, that's crazy.
1: I could see someone feeling very overwhelmed if they're just getting into Star Trek and they want to go back and watch everything else. I mean, of course, people will probably watch more than one episode a day and not watch one a day, but still, still, that's Mm going to take you probably over a year. It just depends how much time you have. Yeah it's insane and you know like i've seen
2: i think every piece of star trek media multiple times over so i don't really want to sit and like calculate how much of my life that is eaten up uh you know just putting aside the talking about star trek the writing about star trek and all of this stuff just simply consuming the actual material like how many hours i've sunk into that i I feel like i'm staring into a great abyss and like i start to feel like this existential dread about my life so maybe we'll just leave
1: that alone (laughs) thinking about that it's like and there's no way to figure it out but it's like how many hours of your life have you devoted to star trek whether watching it reading it, talking about it, producing your shows on YouTube, producing the podcast. Like if you take all those elements and go into conventions or shopping for things or working on a model, I mean, I wonder what percentage of not, okay, let's not say of our lives, but what percentage of our time awake has been devoted to Star Trek? Not
2: counting sleep. Oh my sleeping. God. <laughs> I, I need to, I need to reevaluate some things. So this is a special announcement for this pot No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> I'm not giving up now. Are you kidding? No, why, why give up now? Keep going.
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, we're going to uh, spend a, a bit of time today talking about yet another piece of this whole Star Trek universe. So yeah, there is a Tide, the uh, 800th installment of Star Trek and the... 12th episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery. This episode and the previous one we've had renamed from the names that were originally released. This was listed as the good of the people when the titles were first released and uh, that has been changed to There Is a Tide. And uh, at the end of the episode we'll talk about the title for the next episode because something we've been uh, really wondering about gets answered with that. So we'll save that till the end of the episode.
1: Yes, I'm very interested to do that. I don't know why they keep changing titles. I can understand if they are revealing titles that they think might give something away and they don't want that out there. But I don't know how a title called There's a Tide would have been something that would hint to what we think is coming in the episode.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's anything like that. I think this is just fairly common like it's happened many times in in Star Trek before I I kind of have this running list in my head of a few different episodes of Star Trek throughout the past that had a title right up until just about the air date and then it got revealed to be something else I think Uh, the Deep Space Nine episode Ferengi Love Songs was called Of Love and Profit up until it aired or something like that it's just I think it's just a creative decision like oh this would be a better title I don't really like that other one it doesn't really relate to how the episode came together or something like that
1: it sounds as if those are working titles that they have to have a placeholder and they just somebody just gives it a title whether it's on the set or whatever they just make up a title and they're like well we haven't decided if that's going to be the official t- we haven't really had the discussion of what the title is going to be maybe the working title ends up being the title, and then when they finally get to do it then we see what the real title is Mm-hmm. And there could be things
2: that come out during the filming, during the direction where they're like, Ooh, this performance seems to focus more on this aspect of the episode or something like that. And that old title just doesn't really, you know, or, or for example, uh, the episode Tuvix on Voyager was originally called Symbiogenesis. Just another one of those generic Voyager titles that like, ugh. Uh, and Tuvix is fairly plain enough, but at the same time, at least you see the title Tuvix and you're like, w- what's this about? You know. Yeah. Whereas Symbiogenesis, it's just like, oh, yet another scientific term that they've used
1: as a title. Yeah. Well, Voyager is like, well, you know, we like one title, one word title, so we got to go with Tuvix. But I was just thinking, Dan, as you're talking through titles and we're saying 800 episodes, it's amazing to think that you probably know all 800 episode titles that are out there. <laughs>
2: I don't know that I could, like, sit here and recite them all, but if you give me, like, a five-word summary of a plot of an episode, I could probably tell you the title of it. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll challenge that on another day. Ooh, that's exciting. Okay, well, let's get into this episode, then. So there is a tide. Uh, We see a bunch of storylines coming together, and I've, I've kind of broken this discussion up into the various aspects of the show, so... Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is Osira and her whole plan with the discovery here. As we saw at the end of the last episode, she captured the ship and has her people aboard. And meanwhile, uh, Saru and and Culber and Burnham, well, Burnham's been rescued by book, but all that. But the other two, they're still stuck on that planetoid in the nebula. Interestingly, we don't see them at all this episode. So that storyline is being saved For the season finale, we don't know how they're doing or what's been going on for them. We totally leave that alone. What did you think of that decision to not see any of that of what's
1: going on there? I was a little disappointed because I really thought we were going to see some of that in this episode. But I know we're going to see it in the next episode, you know, at the very least. So, I mean, I was okay with it. Uh, You know, a lot of this episode to me felt like it was setting up for the finale. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that storyline with Saru and Kolber and Adira was established in the last episode. So I felt like they, the writers felt like, okay, well, we've, we've put them in their place for the finale. Now we got to set these other chess pieces up in this episode. So everything's set up for the finale. So I was okay with it.
2: Yeah. And part of it I felt also was uh, something similar that I felt about the season premiere of this of this season of Discovery where Burnham is by herself and we don't see what's happening on the Discovery. I feel like that kind of sets up some, something similar for this episode where we see people on the Discovery and in particular Paul Stamets. Uh, being worried about what's happening to Culber specifically, but Culber and Saru on the planet. And the fact that we don't get to see what's happening with them helps us kind of identify with his pain and what he's going through as well. So I I've, I wonder if that was kind of factoring into it as well. Yeah,
1: probably. And also, I mean, really, what is there to show? I mean, we kind of slow the episode down just to Go back to them, just sitting there on the pla- on the you know ship or whatever. Just like, well, hopefully they'll get here soon. <clears throat> I'm not feeling well. There's no gonna be any resolution to that in the episode anyway, so there isn't a whole lot to tell, I guess, until we get there. So yeah, getting back to Osira, like I
2: said, she's captured Discovery, and there's this kind of feint that they're doing, this kind of game that they're playing, trying to get into Starfleet headquarters, where they jump there and the viridian her flagship is chasing discovery and pretending to to fire on it giving uh, Osira the opportunity to get discovery inside the uh, the shield bubble there and I was like, this seems really familiar. Where, where have I seen this recently? And it was the the final episode of the season two of The Mandalorian. That was the same trick that they were doing with the Lambda class shuttle and the Slave One. Boba Fett was chasing them, pretending that they were under attack and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is clever, except it's this time it's the bad guys doing it. Yeah. Who who copied who in this? <laughs> I don't, honestly, I think there's no way I think either of them could have copied each no. other. They pretty... it's just an interesting coincidence. I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah.
2: I hadn't even thought about that. So good call. Yeah. It was just something I was like, Hey, where have I seen that? So yeah, that was kind of funny. But once Osiris gets inside the perimeter with the discovery, this episode then took a turn. I wasn't expecting, you know, I was like, Oh, she's inside. She's going to do some damage. She's going to destroy the hierarchy of, of Starfleet and the Federation or something like that. But instead she petitions to negotiate with the Federation to kind of merge the Emerald chain and the Federation together.
1: Were you as surprised by this as I was like the direction that that went? I absolutely was surprised by the direction of this. I did not expect this of her character. You almost have to question, Oh, is this real? Is she really being truthful with them? But then we have Eli there. And I think that was there to show that this isn't just a ruse on Osara's part, because if we didn't have the Eli character there or something else that's determining whether she's telling the truth or not, we would be sitting here right now saying, do you trust Osara? I mean, do you really think that's what she's up? To? She's got to be up to something else. She's just not going to turn over the Emerald chain over to the Federation and merge with them. She's got to be doing something else. So now we're told and it's verified that she does mean what she's saying. So Osara hasn't been a favorite of mine. Just because she just, to me, was like, oh, she's just the bad guy of the season. Okay, whatever. Like, she's the least interesting part of this season to me. But now she's become my favorite part of this episode because of Mm -hmm. this reason. It's like, okay, so she's not just the one-dimensional baddie in this. She's trying to protect her people and things have changed for them and she's looking for the salvation to keep the galaxy going and I'm rooting for her now. So yeah, this is the best part of the episode for me. Yeah. That
2: whole negotiation was really fascinating. And I I kept trying to think like, Oh, she's, she's not being on the up and up. Like she's somehow hacked into Eli or something like that. But you know, as it goes on, like it seems she's being totally truthful Uh, except when she's not, when she says, I I think the one lie that he catches her out in is, uh, when she agrees that like, yeah, I can't be the face of the Emerald chain. I, I have this reputation, But what if there is someone else? What if there's a renowned scientist and the person she's referring to will meet as well and talk about, but you know, what if it's this other person? And then Vance asks her, well, that person wouldn't just be a proxy for you, right? Like, oh no, of course not. He would be. And then he's like, no, no, no. She's lying about that.
1: Oh, must be a glitch. Darn. (laughs) So this is really fascinating, this back and forth. No, I loved it. Yeah. And I even love how she just like, oops, yeah, the glitch. Oh, well, you know, I mean, yeah, she's not going to be 100% truthful and probably Vance won't be either. I mean, they kind of both have to protect themselves in these conversations, but, you know, she's still a baddie, you know, she's still not doing good things. She may have good intentions on this side, but it's always something that she wants. And for whatever reason, you know, she wants this unification I guess you could say between the Emerald chain and the Federation, but then yet she still is doing some evil things and she does something really bad later on, which we'll talk about, you know, at the same time, it's like, even if they all come together, you can't still trust her. She's still going to yeah. do something self-serving or to protect herself or whoever else. And you almost have to get her out of the way.
2: Yeah. And speaking of protecting herself, I we see that's where the negotiations kind of break down where Vance says, you know, in principle, I agree with all of this. I think this is all really good, but you have to stand trial for your crimes. And we know she's committed some pretty horrific crimes. She's willing to make concessions on a number of issues. Quijan is mentioned, as well as other pre warp planets and all this stuff. And, you know, this kind of rollback over the next 15 years. It sounds like she's really trying to make concessions here, but the sticking point is she's not willing to answer for terrible things that she's done, according to Vance here. And, and that's kind of what makes it fall apart.
1: I also find it interesting that we didn't see it play out where she's been doing a lot of what she's been doing because the Federation has actually been doing wrong. That the tables turn like I in in a lot of ways I was expecting that sometime this season we would find out that in a conversation like this between these two people that Osiris really just reacting to the bad things that the Federation has done. And that didn't play Mm. off this way. I mean, she was actually talking about the Federation as if it is still the good guy that they haven't been really in the wrong.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and I, I totally have to admit, I was completely wrong. I, at least it, it seems that way to me. I think with this episode, Vance is a great guy. <laughs> like I am 100% behind this guy now. I love that he's not willing to compromise the principles. Like this must be very tempting. Right. Like this could be the answer to bringing back the Federation into relevancy and all this stuff, but he's not completely willing to get in bed with the Emerald chain without some sort of like fixing of, of the past mistakes and writing of those wrongs. He's, you know, he wants to make sure that they're off on the right foot and, and setting forward in that relationship in good faith with the rest of the galaxy. So, you know, I, a, a lot of people disagree with this. A lot of people thought Vance should have gone with this and compromised himself a bit. But I really admire the fact that like, no, the Federation can't be party to some of these crimes. They have to start things off on the right foot. I really
1: appreciated that. I did too. He can't just give in right away. And, and, and he's not giving up. You know, I think Mm -hmm. he's just showing her that there's just certain aspects of this deal that he can't negotiate on, that he has to keep. And I'm sure he's hoping that she's going to come back and concede to that. You know, I mean, that's part of negotiations. I mean, I just Mm -hmm. spent the last 60 days negotiating all kinds of contracts. And so I'm very familiar with this right now. And you know, it doesn't mean that he's closing the deal. It's just, you know, here's my terms. And he's probably hoping she'll come back and accept them.
2: Well, one last little aspect of this whole conversation that I wanted to talk about is the revelation once and for all, uh, where replicated food, where some of that matter comes from, uh, it was a, it was a small part, but I really appreciate it where Vance was talking about this apple that he was serving and he mentions that it's it, and he uses a word that, you know, if we want to keep all our Apple Podcasts rating, I can't really say, but uh, it, it comes from our waist. It and and the look on Osiris' face. <laughs> Janet Kidder acts this beautifully. Her face is just like,
1: what? And uh, that was great. Yeah, and she spits just a little bit out of her mouth that she had in there at the time. It's like, yeah, it doesn't quite taste like apples. Mm, well, it isn't quite <laughs> apples either. <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of gross. Uh, but at the same time, it's not that surprising. I mean, in the future, it is about recycling, right? <laughs> I mean, why not? It's clean. It's it's healthy.
2: Yeah. And and I mean, this is, it's nothing new. It's always been kind of hinted at. And in Enterprise, for example, Trip gets asked the question where, when you go to the bathroom on the Enterprise, where does it go? And he says that it's recycled. And I think he lists some things like power conduits, pair of boots. So he doesn't say food though. He doesn't outright say food. This is the first time we get that direct link. I thought that was pretty funny.
1: This also made me think about our friend of the show, meteorologist Katie Nicolau. She had a video recently that she tweeted about you shouldn't eat icicles that come from your roof because it's melted water that has run down your roof and picked up burp poop in it and Mm -hmm. then freezes. And so when you're eating icicles, you're eating poop. And that actually, I guess, went viral or whatever because TMZ then featured it on their website. So, oh wow, it made me when I saw that video, and then I saw this episode right shortly after that. I thought about, gosh, I've seen two things this week about eating poop. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just came
2: out of twenty twenty. That's where people's minds are at. I guess, <laughs> I guess yeah. I, I told
1: Katie that she should have called her segment "Poop Sickles."
2: Oh man. Uh one one last thing. I know I said one last thing already, but uh one thing I forgot to mention about this whole conversation with Osira and Vance. There's an interesting exchange that I thought was was relevant where the topic of capitalism is brought up. And Osira says, you know, the Federation is already engaging in capitalism. For example, deep space. 200 and something, some really high number. I was like, whoa, I was, as soon as she said deep space, I was like, and then, oh, it's not nine. Whoa, (laughs) but that's a really high number. But uh, yeah, talking about capitalism within the Federation and just the look of kind of sadness or regret on Vance's face that the Federation is doing capitalism I thought was was interesting and an interesting political statement, I think, by uh, the writers of Star Trek here.
1: I also look at these reactions to where the Federation is and the result of the burn from these individuals. It kind of plays as if it's uh, the burn is something that has happened in more recent years or in recent decades, but it's still 120 years. So what I'm getting at is for these people, when we look at Osira and Vance they were born after the burn like so the way things are today for them is the way it's been since their birth so it isn't unusual and they don't have a way of remembering back to the way things used to be because they weren't around then so sometimes When I hear things like that, I think, is it just been something that generation after generation has brought up for 120 years of trying to get back to the way things used to be? You know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes it feels a little too fresh when they're talking about it. At the same time, I feel like
2: the decline has been stretched out for a bit because we heard Book talking about the Federation, like after the burn, he said the Federation was around for a while and they were trying really hard. And then eventually they just kind of faded away. So that that fade away could have been within their lifetimes as well, where the Federation is still clinging to those ideals. Vance was probably raised as a kid being told about those ideals and what the Federation believes in. And in his lifetime, he might have seen that kind of fall away and get lost. So that that could have been where some of that is coming from, I think. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. I mean, it's really a slow burn, you know? Mm, absolutely. I mean, it would be, I guess, for someone who grew up, grew up in a town that has been on the decline for 100 years or so. And, you know, year after year, decade after decade, the economy gets worse, people are moving out, you know, and they just want to turn it around, even though they didn't exist around the time when that town was booming, you know? So they didn't have to live through that time to want to go back to that.
2: Yeah, that's that's true too, for sure. That That's a good analogy. I like that.
1: Well, let's move on to
2: Burnham's role in this episode. And I've called this Burnham's Die Hard Adventure because this really feels like diehard in space. We get Burnham and Book. They've been chasing Discovery. They went through that subspace corridor, the transwarp conduit that they talked about in the last episode. Really dangerous. There's lots of debris. But they managed to catch up with Discovery at Starfleet headquarters and just before Discovery is let in, they crash through the, into the shuttle bay. That's a really exciting, really cool sequence. I'm glad we get the line later on that like, oh, they came in just as the shields were going down or something like that. It was like, oh, okay. So I was wondering about the shields at that point. But we get Burnham on board, kind of this fighting this one person war against uh, the Emerald Chain on the ship. This was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, when they crashed the ship into the shuttle bay, I didn't think about it until now when you're talking about, it, but it wouldn't have been funny if Burnham said to Book, have you ever done this before? And he turned around and said, actually, this is my first time. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek V reference. That's right. <laughs> But yeah, this was fun just to see Burnham trying to get around the ship. Like you said, diehard adventure. That's kind of what it feels like. And when she got stabbed in the leg, my wife, who's a physical therapist, starts analyzing, oh my gosh, this means this, and she should do this, and she should take care of it this way. <laughs> like she's, I'm like, she needs a physical therapist on the ship, hon. Go, go, go treat Burnham, please. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it, was, it was enjoyable to see Burnham on the ship doing this. It, it just kind of took me back to like the first two episodes of the of the series you know just that like when she was fighting the Klingons and going around the Klingon ship and stuff it just was taking me back to those types of scenes where she's just on her own and she's got her own skills to take all this on so and I loved it when they opened the I don't remember what it's called now whatever the exhaust vent That woman goes out into space. You know, I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. What is that thing? Like, you know, it was to vent the corridor thing she's in, whatever. Speaking of the fire suppression system. Yes, yes. Yeah. I like that scene too. And by the way, this subspace corridor thing is a very convenient thing to have in the show, right? I mean, I just, that's my one nitpick is that there's this corridor is like right there at the front door of the Federation headquarters. And is also there at the front door to where the burn started. Yeah.
2: I mean, it, it was mentioned in the last episode, so it was set up nicely yeah. at least, but, uh, but yeah, I, I get that. In the sure. last
1: episode, I thought it was convenient. And then I thought, but what I loved about it is all the debris in there. It's just showing mm-hmm. how it's something that not everybody's going to use because it's dangerous to fly. Yeah. Into.
2: I'm really enjoying this whole bit with Burnham that scene like you're saying in the, the fire suppression thing where, yeah, that was, that was exciting. And she loses both of her boots and socks and has to go around barefoot now. Uh, regarding her getting stabbed in the leg, I remember the comment I made at the time, like after she pulls it out and the look on her face, I leaned over to Nikki and said, oh, she's trying to think of when the last tetanus shot she had is. (laughs) 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 Which, of course, probably
1: isn't a worry at that time, but still. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my wife was just like, oh, it depends where she, where the knife went in. If it hit here, if it hit there, whatever. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's overanalyzing it, but that's her profession, you know? I think, yeah, we all do that if it's something that we're really familiar with.
2: we, We we, we tend to look through it, look at it through a different lens, for sure. So, just imagine if
1: we were astronauts watching that. Like, I astronauts have got to pick apart Star Trek so much, even though they may love it. But you know, just like, no, that doesn't happen in space. No, a ship <laughs> wouldn't be able to do that. You know,
2: <laughs> I think even worse would be like watching a, a movie that tries to get modern stuff right. So, I, I've heard about astronauts watching Gravity, for example, the Sandra Bullock film, and just being like, no, <laughs> yeah. That would be tough. Yeah. My favorite total side note, my favorite story of this was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson watching Titanic and the scene from Rose's perspective, when she's clinging onto the board and looking up at Jack and the star field behind him. Neil deGrasse Tyson is like, okay, this is ridiculous. We know exactly where Titanic was and we know what time it was and what time of the year it was. There's no reason to get the stars wrong. And the the stars were all wrong. And apparently James Cameron went back and fixed it for like later DVD and Blu-ray releases based on that. So like, that's pretty cool. Oh, I
1: didn't know about that. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, when you're making a film, like how much time are you going to take for every little thing like that? I mean, you just wanted to show the stars you know yeah but are you gonna spend the hours to figure out exactly where the stars would be on that date
2: and the thing is james cameron would if he'd have thought of it yeah. like he is such a meticulous expert that like i think he was actually embarrassed when neil deGrasse tyson pointed that out so that's just the kind of filmmaker he is anyway that's all uh not what we're supposed to be talking about so uh Yeah, Burnham's fight to get this ship back. One interesting aspect of it that I found was when she's talking to her mother, when she puts out that distress call and talks to her mom on on Navarre. Doesn't talk to her, but sends a message to her. This got me to thinking, like, are we going to see the Vulcans and the Romulans come in like... Like avenging angels in the final episode to come save them, and then I started wondering: Do all those Romulans on Navarre Do they still have a fleet of warbirds? Is that
1: still a thing? Like, I don't <laughs> know. We see the Romulans and the Vulcans come in at the last minute, or a hybrid of the two, or something. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that's the that's the thing about this episode. It feels like they're setting so many things up for the finale. Yeah, I get this impression that at some point at the last minute when things are going dire and and there's this space battle happening or something's going on and all of a sudden, boom, the fleet shows up. Oh, good. The Vulcans and the Romans made it just in time. I would love it. Just just for fun. I would love it if there was an episode where everything gets resolved and then the fleet arrives at the last moment and you're like, well, you're too late, mom, but thanks for coming anyway. That would be funny. But yeah, I, I feel like this is setting up like
2: they'll come in and save them and they'll want to be part of the Federation again and it'll be a big happy thing. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe i reading too much into that but uh, it feels like that's being set up for that
1: it does feel that way yeah and then finally
2: the last thing with Burnham here is her whole scene with Stamets which I found just like gut-wrenching when you know she has to get him off the ship because he can control the spore drive and they need him out of the hands of Asira and her forces and so she encases him in this force field and and goes to eject him into space and Stamets just, you know, my entire life is in that nebula. We have to go back. Why are you doing this? And, and the whole thing where he's yelling, we followed you. We followed you into the future because we believed in you and Culber followed you. And, oh man, I was like, oh God, that was gut-wrenching to me.
1: And a lot of ways I did think, well, Stamets has a point. I mean, with the spore drive, they could quickly go there, beam them on this, sh- and be back within i don't know minutes or however long it takes i don't think it's going to take more than a half hour an hour why couldn't they do that but i agree with burnham too it's like you know i i kept thinking and it wasn't said but you know she was raised on vulcan but the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few Mm -hmm. and i feel like she was going by that philosophy in this we have to protect the federation we can't let the federation die or be destroyed And that's what could happen right now. And we're not going to sacrifice that just to go and rescue three people. And they can't
2: right now either because the ship is in enemy hands.
1: Like they haven't taken the ship back. So Well, that's right. I mean, yeah, right. They would have to spend time trying to take the ship back. And they're losing time saving the Federation by even doing that. You know, it's like priorities are here. You know, we got to take the ship back and then we got to save the Federation. We can't then, you know, whenever we take the ship back, just leave and then come back. So I get that. But at the same time, I didn't like this scene. I, by the way, I, I like the scene. Don't get me wrong. But what I don't like about it is that it's been a very it's very much been a Star Trek thing where your your lead character is going to find a way to do it all. So so, you know, she's already gotten to the point where she's like, yeah, they're they're going to die. I mean, she said this is damage. He's like, they're going to die. And she goes, yeah, they are. And she doesn't want them to die. But I thought, you know, in a Kirk situation or Janeway or whoever, I, you know, they would say like, I've got to figure a way to do both. I need to find a way to save the Federation and save our people. But Burnham's just like, nope, I've already discounted them. So I don't like it because of that, but it's not that I don't like the scene like it wasn't written well. It's just that it is so truthful, It, it meaning that in situations, look, you you can't sit there. It seems like it's it's very much a fiction play to say, oh, I can rescue it all. But realistically, in a real-life situation, somebody's going to be in a situation and they have to make the choice, and she had to make the choice. And I hate that for her. So that's why I say I don't like the scene. It's not that I don't like the scene. I just hate that she has to make this choice.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing it a little differently because I think... I think she will and, and they will find a way to save it all and and it'll all work out. Because, well, I do to, too, because yeah. to your point, getting Stamets out of the hands of the Emerald Chain right now doesn't preclude that once they take the ship back, they can just beam him back and go. Like, I don't see I don't see why this is such uh, giving up on them. I don't I don't think that's the point. I think the point is to get him off the ship so that the Emerald Chain can't take Discovery away somewhere else getting him off the ship keeps discovery there right now until they take the ship back then they can go rescue them i just haven't understood the argument that this gives up on them i think
1: this gives them their best chance i feel like they are going to end up rescuing them rescuing them i do agree with that but what i'm saying is the way this scene plays out she's indicating to stamets like yeah they're going to die because we've got to do this i'm so sorry. But to your point, I agree that what you just said, I think, is going to happen. But she didn't play it that way. She didn't play like, I'm going to do my best, but I've we've got to save the Federation first. We've got to do this first thing Like, there was no indication of... We've got to get the ship back first. <laughs> this was, we're going to try. Yeah. It, it came across as like, I have to, we have to, there's just no way. Like, we're, we're, you know, and maybe she just doesn't want to give him that hope because she can't promise that to him. Mm-hmm. That could know? be, yeah.
2: Yeah. And I mean, my criticism as well is that it it doesn't seem to be played the way that I think it should be played. Like, I think it should play out that I I, I feel like they have less of a chance of rescuing them if Stamets is captured by the Emerald Jane, right? Because they could spirit him off somewhere and hold him hostage. This gets him back in the hands of Starfleet, which is the safest place. They don't have that alternate way to control the spore drive yet.
1: And I think that's kind of saying what I was trying to say earlier that didn't feel like we see in other Star Trek is there's a plan. Mm -hmm. You know, you may not like the plan, but I have a plan. I'm getting rid of you, Stamets, to protect the ship, to take the ship back so we can go back and rescue them and save the Federation. She indicated as if that, yeah, they're they're more likely going to die. Like I don't have a plan to go save them at this point. Yeah. Like that wasn't mentioned in the scene. And this is another one of those
2: things where of course we're seeing part of what's going on. And like, we won't, we don't have the end game in mind. We don't see where it's all going. And of course, because we're just one episode from the end, right? We're, we're going to see it all come together, I think. But one of the keys I think to bringing this all together is this character of Aurelio, who I want to talk about. Uh, The return of Kenneth Mitchell, who of course was Cole in season one, Cole Shaw and Tanavik in season two. So, you know, Klingons all the way up to now, but we actually see him here out of makeup in this role of Aurelio. What did you think of uh, Kenneth Mitchell in this episode?
1: I thought he was great in this scene. As a matter of fact, when it, or in this whole episode, when his character first appeared and when he was talking to Stamets, I was like, where have I seen this actor before? And I'm trying to think <laughs> what show that it was on that I've seen this guy. And I was like, think about it for a while. And then after a while, I'm like, oh, wait a second. Yes, Kenneth Mitchell. Okay, that's where I've seen I know where I've seen him before. <laughs> you know, But I've seen him more in person, like on interviews and at conventions and stuff. And, of course, when he's been on Discovery, he's always been in, in makeup. But uh, I thought he did a great job as the scientist. I mean, I really felt for him. I really felt that he had this devotion to Osira, and just didn't see that she was doing anything evil, that he really is a, a kind person who has good intentions from a scientific standpoint and doesn't realize he's being used inappropriately in the wrong ways.
2: Yeah, definitely a, a true believer in the Emerald Chain as it's been presented to him. But like you say, I, I think he he's kind of blind to what Osira is actually up to and, and what they've actually been doing when stamets is telling him you know his experience with the chain he's genuinely surprised at at this and i think on his face he's like i don't think this guy's lying but this isn't the emerald chain that i've been presented
1: yeah it almost yeah it very much in his face you can read those things even to a point that maybe he's like it's maybe he's exaggerating a little or maybe stamets isn't quite getting it right or but maybe he is and he's questioning it because as a scientist he's always questioning things Mm -hmm. he's always trying to get to the truth right he's always trying to figure things out so a new bit of information is presented and i think he's analyzing that you know could i've been been played a little bit with osara i don't know i'll have to keep an eye on that
2: yeah but besides everything else i'm just so happy to see kenneth mitchell back in the in the show you know, having played all of these roles in makeup up till now to see him free of that makeup and actually here. And actually he was even a voice in Lower Decks season one. So, you know, yeah, real friend of Star Trek right now and really, really happy to see him here. Yeah. And like you said, he's a scientist, seems like a very thoughtful person, plans to bring the spore drive to the rest of the galaxy, sees that as a good mission that, you know, he's a part of. But towards the end here, we see that his belief in Osira and the chain seems to kind of be wavering with what Stamets has told him. And when he sees Osira on the bridge and the actions that she takes, uh, he seems to be kind of questioning things a little bit. And I'm thinking, that's why I was saying, I think he's going to play a role in the end game here. I think he's going to have a, an interesting part to play here.
1: Absolutely. I think so, too. I think he's going to come around and do something. That stops Osara from doing something bad. Or he's going to help our Discovery crew in the Federation with something. Uh, He'll probably team up with Stamets. Mm -hmm. Well, no, Stamets is off the ship now. So, yeah, I don't know how they get back together. But, yeah, I I do think he's going to have a role in this. Just seeing him in that bridge scene. I was also expecting something to happen on the bridge. Like, he would do something to save everybody at some point during that whole scene.
2: Yeah, I think it's building up to that. I think next week will be, or later this week, I should say, we'll, we'll find that out for sure. But the one thing that seems to really shake him and it shook me as well, because as much as I was like, oh no, it's going to happen in this episode, isn't it? And it kind of felt inevitable. We get the loss of Rin in this episode and Osira kills Rin. That just oh, that was that was heart wrenching. I'm so sad to lose this character.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was important to show Aurelio the true colors of Osira. So we needed something like that in this scene. In some ways I'm disappointed with Osira because of what we had just saw earlier with her. And she said no harm is going to come to the crew. It just feels like she's backsliding a little. Mm-hmm. She's got a temper. Yeah. So I was a little disappointed in her. Well, I shouldn't say a little. She killed someone. I'm disappointed in her for doing that. It was unnecessary. But I feel like she was just taking her anger out on him.
2: I've really enjoyed Rin's role in this season. Noah everback katz I think, played him terrifically sad to see his, his Star Trek journey end at the end of, uh, Osiris phaser there. So
1: he'll be back as
2: another character. Oh, I hope so. That would be really great. He's such a huge fan of Star Trek and I, his social media posts, if you, if you guys out there, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you really should. He's a lot of fun. It, it's been fun seeing discovery through his eyes playing this character. So uh, I really hope he's back.
1: So also I see here in the notes, you put the question, are they married? What is yeah, that
2: So we find out that uh, Aurelio has these three implants, I guess, or something behind his ear that indicate his children. And Stamets says, oh, you're married to an Orion. That's their tradition and stuff. And I saw some speculation online. Is he married to Osira? Because we never find out this unnamed Orion that he's married to. And rewatching those scenes with that in mind especially when they're talking in engineering in, in the sport cube area. I don't know. There's something, there's an added layer to their relationship. And I, I don't know that this is for sure the case, but I absolutely would not be surprised to
1: find out that Osyra is his wife. I didn't even think about that. Uh, I do remember the scene about him being married and all that to an Orion, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess they could be married, but I, I guess I'm hoping that they're not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just doesn't, feel to me that like they're a married couple in this. It could be. I mean, I know what you're talking about. I don't, I do know that she talked to him a little differently than others, but I felt that she just had a different relationship with him because he's a scientist and she helped him out, you know, from his situation. But yeah, I mean, maybe they are. Ah, I don't know. We'll find out. But you know, that gets to something else I want to bring up that has really nothing to do with what is in this episode, but something happens in this episode that is making me worry. And that is that whole trope of when a couple finally tell each other that they love each other and then they're separated and then (laughs) something happens to the one, you know, and they never get together. We see Book and Burnham tell each other, other, that they love each other. And now they've been separated ever since. And I'm like, oh gosh, don't do one of these things where they finally confess their love. And then book, I would assume be the one who dies. You know? Oh, I hope not.
2: <laughs> Speaking of which, I didn't bring that up, but I did love that scene where, you know, the first time I've said this, I love you. And book's like, well, not quite the first time. You talk in your sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. It's a really great scene. But yeah. I, oh, I didn't think about that. But of course that is a trope, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Darn it. Oh, stupid season
1: finales, man. They got to shake everything up all the time. <laughs> or they put that in there so we're thinking this, like, oh no, something's going to happen, and then they go, nope, it didn't. Haha, <laughs> got you. Yeah, that's true.
2: Well, the final topic for the episode that I want to talk about is Tilly and the Gang. So, we've got Tilly and the rest of the command staff from the bridge are being held in the mess hall, I'm assuming, or or some area. And they end up fighting to take back the ship. We have this cute bit of Morse code signaling between Reese and Bryce, which I thought was pretty funny, but really was just kind of a distraction to everything. So that Owoshikun, who seems to be just as big of a badass in this universe as she is in the mirror universe, <laughs> I actually yeah. count the mirror universe Owoshikun as like foreshadowing of this scene now because this was
1: incredible. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's almost like she's the same in both universes with her fighting styles. Yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. And yes. Yeah, they all can fight. Yeah.
2: And her and uh Detmer Really put up a good showing here, I think, and taking Mm -hmm. the weapons and getting the getting the drop on the Emerald Chain Guards. Who actually I haven't mentioned. The guards actually come from somebody that we saw earlier in this season who returns in this episode that I didn't mention at all. Zara, the guy from the second episode, he's kind of teamed up with Osira, and we see the return of him here. So these are his guards that. They're beating up, basically.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I remember from earlier in the season thinking, oh, well, we'll see him again. Well, here we are. (laughs) And I really hope he gets his butt kicked. I hope so, too. I know a lot of people weren't
2: impressed with him in that episode. I actually really liked him. I thought he was a really interesting character. It's good to see him back here, and I hope he gets what's coming to him as well. I found him less interesting this time around than that first time. I don't know. He was just a little bit more kind of... In the background, like I said, I forgot to
1: even put him in the notes
2: here that he's yeah. in the episode.
1: No, you're right. I mean, yeah, he didn't have a huge part in this, but, it, you know, I, I, I like his character. I mean, but again, I want to see his butt get kicked for sure. Yeah. By the way, when the bridge crews, you know, captured and, and there, you know, we don't have Nielsen there, but there's some other woman in, that we don't know that's there. Yeah. I guess Nielsen wasn't on the bridge, but I just wonder, and i I, sorry, I don't remember the actress's name. I even met her in person. I don't even remember her name, but. I guess she was just probably off that week or something. (laughs) Maybe, because I actually noticed
2: that last week, the kind of darker haired woman, right? She was on the bridge Mm -hmm. last week in Nilsson's place. And I I was like, oh, she's new and we didn't really even get a name. But uh, yeah, I definitely noticed that last week. I wonder if something just came up and and Nilsson's actor just wasn't available for the last few episodes or something.
1: That's what it feels like. Yeah.
2: Uh, So yeah, we get them fighting their way out of here and Rin and book of course get separated from them. They they're off doing their thing. The command crew, they're arming themselves. They get to the armory and and get some weapons. It seems like there's some enemy approaching going to get the drop on them, but we see it's the, the dot 23s, I think the little robot dudes. And uh, we find out that it's the sphere data has downloaded itself into them and and is going to help them. And we hear that voice of Zora, the the AI construct from Calypso offering to help Captain Tilly take back the ship. That was a really cool ending. And I was like, oh, we're going to, we're going to see the sphere data, right? They're
1: going to do something. And sure enough, here we go, setting it up for the finale. Yeah. I kept waiting this whole season. When does the sphere data come in to help save everybody? Yeah. <laughs> so I've been kind of waiting for this, this point. I didn't know who was coming down the corridor. But then, when we see the dot twenty threes appear and start to, and show the the old movie, I'm like, "Oh, here comes the sphere data! Finally, yay!" You know, I'm so glad. I'm like, I, now I'm really wanting to see how this plays out. Yeah, I was excited. Yeah, that was really
2: great. So. With all of that said, that's pretty much everything in the episode that I wanted to talk about. Uh, What are your kind of final thoughts and maybe
1: a rating for There Is a Tide? Well, you know, I like the episode, but I didn't like it as much as other episodes this season. And I think one reason is because that it is setting up the finale. Like, it feels a lot to me like we're just setting things up now. And now we're going to get into the meat of it in the next episode. So that's why it isn't resonating as much with me as others that seemed like more self-contained episodes, but I love the whole Osira trying to form an alliance with the Federation. That's my favorite part, as I mentioned earlier. And yeah, just everybody in the crew got their moments, which is nice. I really love how this season, especially they're really playing with the bridge crew. Like we're really getting to see them individually do something on their own and getting to know these characters a little better. And again, seeing Tilly in command, she's doing a good job. I, mm-hmm. I love seeing Tilly in command. I don't want her to be captain because it's one of those weird things of how you go from being a cadet to an, an- ensign in a year and then captain thing. <laughs> but so quickly. <laughs> I want to see her be captain someday for sure. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Yeah. I would say that I would give this episode seven out of 10 dot 23s that have the Sphere data in them. Nice. That's,
2: especially with that added sphere data, a really good rating. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I really enjoyed this one. It does, I think, suffer a little bit from being the middle part of what seems to be a three-part story. So again, we're, we don't have all of the answers. We don't know where everything's going. I think it that does hamper it a little bit. But keeping that in mind, I, I like a lot of the things that happen in this episode. I think a lot of my... Uh, Expectations were kind of subverted, which I really appreciated. The whole, what Osiris up to, I did not see that coming and what her whole end goal is. I thought that was really interesting and fun. Some great character moments. As much confusion as there is around it. I loved that scene between Paul and Michael Burnham where, you know, it just the, the, the raw emotion and the pain that Paul was feeling. I absolutely feel that. I believe him when he says his entire life is in that nebula especially when he finds out that Adira is in the nebula as well. Also the fact that Paul says to Aurelio, I have a kid too. And it took me a couple seconds to realize he was talking about Adira. And I'm like, Oh my God, my heart broke just a little bit there. I I love these characters. That's, that's the thing I'm taking away from this season is uh, these characters I've really come to fall in love with. And I think this episode does some interesting things with them. Characters that I've fallen in love with, though, and then killed, unfortunately. (laughs) That kind of makes me mad. I I understand story-wise why it had to happen, but I'm really sad to see Rin go. But really excited to see where this all goes next week. So... Yeah, I have to give this a rating of—I'd say two out of two. Burnham's boots and socks lazily floating through space
1: after they got sucked through the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good rating. I've never heard you rate things by boots and socks before. Hey, <laughs> it's
2: fitting. It's fitting for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, they fit well, don't they? <laughs> if they're the right size.
2: Exactly. Well, of course, we want to hear from everyone of you out there. What did you think of this episode? If there is a tide. Let us know on our thread for this episode on the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. Just search for Positively Trek on Facebook. We will let you right into the group. You can also tweet to us at Positively Trek on Twitter. We're also on Instagram at Positively Trek as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kurt productions and Bruce.
1: I'm at Admiral underscore Rex on Twitter. I'm also on Goodreads. You can follow me there on what I'm reading in Star Trek and sometimes Star Wars. And then, uh, yeah, you can find me sometimes on the Star Wars report too. So check me out there. And wow, we're getting to the last episode of the season. Yeah. So the last episode of the
2: season, we finally get the title. This one has been renamed originally. It was called Outside. Now it's titled that hope is you part two. So we get the season bookended that hope is you part one was the premiere that hope is you part two, the
1: finale. So finally we get an answer to what that title's all about. Uh, These titles are confusing to me. I mean, I'm glad we finally see the part two episode appear somewhere, but I'm like, wait, I thought this was called the outside. I'm so confused. Okay. So, and then again, I'm like, why not just tell us this from the very beginning? I would think this had been planned for a while. Could have been, yeah. I, I don't know. Now it's all okay. We know we're getting a part two. I can breathe easy now. But it's like, <laughs> why didn't you just say that like weeks ago at least? Come on. <laughs> yeah. The other thing to remember is I think people
2: don't put as much stock or pay attention to episode titles as much as like we do, who do a podcast talking about them. Because I mean, like, unlike old Star Trek, they don't even appear on screen, right? So the titles are just, you know, maybe a secondary thing. So, uh, it might be like, this one was meant to be called this from the beginning, but the, they still had the working titles and that was just what was released. And they went, Oh shoot, we hadn't changed that yet. Whoops. Here we go. Now it's changed. Okay. It it might just be like,
1: "Eh, ah, didn't even think about it. No big deal. Yeah, definitely. No, you're right. It it definitely could be like most people aren't even looking at this stuff like we are. But as a fan who does do this, I would prefer (laughs) that they not reveal the titles like I mean, it's cool to see the titles, but I don't want don't show me the titles unless they're real. So I would prefer that, you know, every week we go into a new episode and then that next day or two, we find out what the next episode title is. And we know it's the actual as opposed to this weeks in advance here are titles that are not going to stick. So what's the point? (laughs) see i like i
2: like that because it's like a peek behind the curtain for me i like seeing but then the the titles titles. don't
1: stick so they're not even real yeah
2: but i I (laughs) like that i like the working titles like i like knowing that tuvix used to be called
1: symbiogenesis (laughs) it's just a little peek behind the curtain i enjoy it (laughs) okay well from now on you know what's going to happen when we talk about Ooh, did you see the episode coming up in three weeks is called blah 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 you know what i'm gonna say yeah If that's really the title. (laughs) (laughs) And you would be right to do so. Yes. Well, that is my hope for you, is to keep getting titles that aren't real. (laughs) Well, thank you.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you all out there so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Until then, as always, stay positive.